Welcome to the Perry Network podcast. I'm Evie Russman, reporting from the Perry Europe Forum in London, where many of our global members are meeting to assess the current issues facing private real estate and look to the opportunities ahead. Perry EMEA editor Charlotte D'Souza caught up with Tony Brown, M&G's global head of real estate, who reiterated that real estate is a long-term asset class, and so it is important for managers and investors to take a long-term view. Let's drop in on the conversation. How optimistic or pessimistic are you feeling about real estate opportunities right now? Well, when investing in real estate, I think it's worth having a balanced view rather than a pessimistic or optimistic view and thinking about where we are in the cycle right now. So I'd categorize investing in two ways. Firstly, thinking about long-term structural trends that play through cycles and also thinking about where the cycle is today and what the opportunities are that come from the cycle we're in right now. And I'd say in terms of the immediate opportunities, the most obvious ones where we expect capital to be allocated to are areas such as real estate credit. You can pretty much derive equity style returns from debt right now, which looks quite interesting. Value add will come into play, I think, quite soon, uh, particularly if we start seeing some distress coming through um, the banking sector. Value add investing will become quite popular in the next couple of years. In fact, it probably could be the next best vintage since 2010 following the global financial crisis. Also, at this point in the cycle, long lease real estate uh, led to investment grade covenant linked to inflation is really a fixed income substitute. And given the attractiveness of fixed income at the moment, that's probably one of the best areas of real estate to be investing in at this point in the cycle as well. So those are really cycle points, but there's structural elements to investing in real estate as well. Real estate tends to be a long-term asset class. Obviously, the costs of trading in and out of real estate are quite high. Um, so you have to take a long-term view most of the time in terms of what you're investing in. And we certainly see that all things residential are really interesting because the supply and demand equation that exists in most developed markets is too much demand, not enough supply for residential, whether that's student housing, senior living, or build-to-rent sectors. And then finally, a part of the market that probably is good in terms of this point in the cycle, but also is quite good structurally, and that is logistics, particularly in the UK, We've seen quite a big difference in pricing compared to, say, 12, 18 months ago. Prices have moved out quite significantly, but the underlying demand because of the internet and the structural drivers of logistics are still really strong. And therefore, logistics in the UK particularly is good from a cycle perspective, but also from a long-term structural perspective as well. So we're obviously in quite a difficult fundraising environment at the moment. How are you managing fundraising at the moment? What's your approach to that? Well, it's true that fundraising is more difficult than it was a year ago. So if I went back 12 months, we had a record level of fundraising in Q1 of last year in our business globally. It's much more difficult now, but there are still allocations to real estate. So we recently raised um, just under 700 million euros for a residential strategy across Europe. So that's basically investing in built to rent, student and senior living across Europe, ex-UK. So that's a significant amount of capital we've now started to invest in our first couple of deals in Helsinki and in Dublin. So we'll invest that money over the course of the next 12 months or so. There is still allocations for diversification purposes. So we run two of the largest pan-European and pan-Asian core funds in the market. There is still demand for those products as clients look to diversify their exposure away, maybe from their home market uh, into other areas uh, from a geographical perspective. So there's still some demand there. But we think that probably the most demand is going to come in the near future for real estate credit and value add. Those are the two areas where we see probably the highest allocations likely to come through over the next 12 months or so. What about on a sectoral basis? Which sectors are you feeling most upbeat about? 
Well, I've talked about residential, so I won't mention that again. I've also talked about logistics. So those are two, I think, fairly obvious sectors in terms of the drivers there. I think most of our listeners will be familiar with those. But maybe just to refer to the office market, which has had quite a lot of bad publicity, I suppose, since COVID because of the work from home environment we now find ourselves in. I've been quite surprised by how much working from home has remained actually since COVID, but it's not equal in all countries. So some markets are quite different to others. In the US, uh, particularly in the Northeast and the Western coast uh, of the US has been really quite a reluctance to go back to office downtown areas, which is having impact on occupational demand in those markets. In Europe, demands come back pretty strongly. So London is pretty strong demand for best in class offices. That's generally true across most European cities as well. And in Asia, you have to remember there are social, demographic, and even geographical reasons that mean the office market demand is quite strong. So for example, in Singapore, it's hot and humid all year round. And most people live in really small apartments, often multi-generational living. So being in the office where it's air conditioned actually is a nice place to be and public transport is fantastic. So it's easy to get to work. Similar in Tokyo and other Japanese cities where it's really hot and humid for a number of months of the year. Again, you've got multi-generational living in really small apartments. Um, so not really conducive to working from home. So there you can see occupational demand much stronger than perhaps it is in the US where people live typically live in much bigger homes and commuting times much longer as well. Do you believe there will be distressed opportunities in the market? And if so, when are you expecting those? I think it's inevitable there'll be some distress. I don't think you can move to a higher interest rate environment at the speed at which it's moved without there being some distress that's caused as a consequence of that. And the reality is we've been used to almost free money for a decade, and we're now weaning ourselves off free money into much higher interest rate environments. And no matter what the interest rate environment looks like in the coming years in the inflationary environment, there's bound to be some levels of distress that come through. It's almost impossible to know how much of that there is. There's a lot of commentators talking about the US being the most obvious part of that because of the regional banks and their exposures to the office market in the US. That looks reasonably obvious, I think. Whether that translates into other markets, I think it's more difficult to tell. There's not really much sign of it at the moment. And I think one of the key factors in determining whether there is going to be distress or not is really the occupational markets. At the moment, cash flows are really secure. Um, there's not really any issues around payment of rent. Uh, rent levels are back to pre-COVID levels, even in the retail market, which obviously was the most challenged during the COVID period. So cash flow impairment doesn't look likely at the moment. But also if economies um, deteriorate from where they are today, if we get recession, re-environments in different economies around the world, then you have to expect that there may be some rental impairment that comes through. And I think that'll be the main catalyst for whether we get real distress or not. I think without that, levels of distress may be relatively modest, certainly compared to what we saw in the global financial crisis you know, a decade or more ago. You mentioned a lot about the residential opportunity that exists. What would you say are the biggest hurdles to executing on those nowadays? Yeah, I mean, there are, there are hurdles to investing in residential. So we've invested in the build to rent market in the UK, for example, for a decade now. So 10 year anniversary of our fund that we created. And it's been interesting to see how that's evolved over that time. So most of the assets in that particular fund that we've actually built. So we've built them from scratch, which takes time. So in deploying capital, it can take two to three years on every project to deploy all the capital that's been allocated to it. And obviously there's risk around that. Clearly the market can change over two or three years while the asset's being built. But we believe to get the right kind of quality of asset in, in a relatively new market like built to rent in the UK, we've had to build it to get the right quality level of amenity. So that's a challenge. I think it's still the case that in a lot of markets, you need to build it to actually get the quality you need. So that takes time. 
I think also what we found in the UK particularly is that the amenity and the quality of the asset and the specification of the asset is changing every time we do something new. So compared to 10 years ago, the assets we're building now have much higher levels of amenity, whether it be common rooms, uh, cinema rooms, dining rooms, outdoor space, and even actually now more so since COVID, having areas for people to collaborate in and working from home in communal areas. That's quite different to what it was 10 years ago. So the specification of buildings is changing over time. And obviously as an investor, you want to make sure you're investing in best in class. And the only way to do that really is to continue to develop those types of assets. So I think that market continues to evolve and that's definitely a challenge. Um, but I think we've got good experience of doing that, particularly in the UK. We're now trying to move that into continental Europe in terms of our experience there as well. I think another challenge would be country by country regulation is quite different. Every country has different rules around housing. Housing is very political, uh, no matter what country you're in. So that's always something you have to bear in mind. So you have to have local on the ground presence and understanding those local markets to really do it properly, which is true in commercial markets as well, but I think is even more apparent in, in residential markets. So those are some of the, I guess, the, the hurdles to doing it. But overall, we think it's a part of the market is going to see increased allocations of capital and to some extent become a bit like the US where for 30 years now, US institutions have probably had 25 to 30% of their allocations to multifamily. Those allocations, I think, are going to increase across Europe and in Asia as well to something similar over the decades to come. That again was Tony Brown from M&G. If you liked what you heard, be sure to subscribe, rate and review wherever you listen to podcasts and check out the rest of our conference coverage on the Perry Network website. See you next time.